I read about how in a museum they posted a do not touch sign. And um, people, though, even with the sign, they kept coming by and kept touching the artifacts, the furniture, paintings, and whatever that you know was there that had do not touch on it as a sign. Well, a museum employee came up with an idea. And the problem of everyone touching disappeared overnight. You see, they replaced the do not touch sign with a new one which said, caution, wash hands after touching. Well, when it comes to reaching out to God, there are no do not touch signs. Actually, God desires that we do reach out and touch Him, and He desires to touch us and bless us in return. So tonight as we continue in our study here through the book of Luke, Two people seek Jesus for help, and they are not denied as they desire the touch of healing. And that's the title of our message tonight, The Touch of Healing. Again, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 8 from verse 40 to the end of the chapter, verse 56. And tonight we're going to see three things, the distressed father, the desperate woman, and the deceased daughter. Those are the three things we're going to see. I guess we, I could say there's three people who are touched by Jesus here, not two. Let's begin, number one, with the distressed father. The distressed father. And here we're going to cover verse 40 through 42. But first of all, take a ver- look at verse 40, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Let's stop there for a moment. We begin with Jesus and the disciples now returning to the other side of the lake. Uh, remember last week they were on the, on the side of the lake where Legion was there, right? The man with many thousands of demons and Jesus healed him, cast out the demons uh, out of this man. Before that, they were caught on that storm on the sea when they went over from this side that they're on now we're reading right now. But after... Uh, leaving that area where Legion was. Uh, He asked the man to go back to his home and uh, share his testimony, what God has done. Well, they came back to where they started from. And most likely this was Capernaum, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, the lake there. And so when Jesus returned to the here, there was a crowd waiting for him, as we read here in verse 40, and they welcomed him. They're, they're ready for him. They're looking for them, and as they saw Jesus, as soon as they saw Jesus, they're like, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus. They welcomed him, for they were, I like the end of verse 40, it says, for they were all waiting for him. They're waiting for his return. They saw him go, and so most likely they knew that he would have to come back sometime. Capernaum, if this is where uh, he landed, which I believe it is, uh, is was home base for him, right? This is where his, his base of ministry was in Capernaum. So if it was there, they're waiting. They knew he was going to come back. And I love that thought, yeah, how they were waiting for Jesus. You know, when the iPhone... 4S was first going to be released for sale. I think this was 2011. Uh, Guess who was in line to for the store to open to buy one? Steve Wozniak, which is one of the the co-founder with Steve Jobs to Apple to that company. Well, he set up a chair right in front of the line at this Apple store. 18 hours 
before the store opened. So he was in first in line to grab this phone. Now, he had, in the article I read, he had actually ordered two phones from AT&T, but he wanted to get this Verizon one for his wife right away when it opened. But isn't that crazy, waiting in line for 18 hours? I wonder how long the people here waited for Jesus. I wonder how long that was. Probably a, a day, maybe a couple days, perhaps. I wonder how long they were there. But you know, it makes me think, how long do we really wait on the Lord? How long do we wait for Jesus? Do we give up right away? Are we impatient? Or do we wait on Jesus, wait for Jesus to come? Do we seek Him in that way, waiting on Him? Proverbs 8.34 says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. I like that. I want to be that watchman. I want to be that one waiting at the doors of the temple, waiting for Jesus to come. So the crowd, they were waiting for Jesus, and they welcomed him when he arrived. And then look at verse 41 and 42. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, verse 42, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So Jesus was met right away with the synagogue ruler, Jairus. Now, he was probably waiting. He was, he was, he was distressed, right? Why? Because his daughter was dying. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. And so when Jesus arrived at the shore, he came right to him. Maybe he was first in line, so to speak, because he was so distressed over his 12-year-old daughter here. And he requested that Jesus would come because he wanted Jesus to touch and heal his daughter. Now, as a synagogue ruler, Jairus was responsible for like conducting the worship services to... Uh, caring for the scrolls of scripture that they had, running the Jewish school. They had a little school there for uh, guys, um, keeping people accountable he was responsible for. He would uh, distribute uh, gifts to the poor, take care of the building, the synagogue building. And, and he would also find rabbis and uh, guest, speak, guest speakers like rabbis to come and teach on the Sabbath. So he, he, he was a very busy and he held a very high position. But the one thing that mattered most to him was his daughter dying from a sickness. And so Jairus was the distressed father. We don't know exactly what this was, but whatever it was, she was about to die. Perhaps um, Jairus came to Jesus because maybe he had witnessed Jesus healing someone, maybe in his own synagogue. Maybe he, he saw it in the crowds when he was observing it from the outside and when he was out uh, in, outside in the wilderness area. Or maybe he heard of that casting out of demons like we saw in Luke 4. Or may, maybe it was the raising of the widow's son in Luke 7 he knew about and heard about. Or other healings that were done all around Capernaum. But now his own daughter, his very own daughter was sick and despite what maybe the other Pharisees might be saying, other rabbis, like remember they're beginning to come against Jesus, but Jairus was so distressed over his daughter, he came straight to Jesus no matter what any of his peers would say, no matter what it was. He, he, was, he, he needed Jesus at this moment. 
And what did Jesus do? Well, I like what it, it says uh, in verse 42. As Jesus went, Jesus went, right? And the people pressed him. The crowd started to follow him. But I love what Jesus did. Jesus went at the request of Jairus to go to his daughter. I like something John MacArthur said, the creator of the universe, the master of the world, the king of kings and the Lord of lords was not too busy to stoop in ministry. I love that. Even though there's this huge crowd, they're welcoming, waiting for Jesus, they, they need things, he was ready to go right away at the request of Jairus and help his daughter. So here's what I want you to see first of all. Jesus is never too busy for you Jesus is always accessible and available for you. I hope that can sink in to you, inside your heart today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening. I don't know your need as you come here tonight. Maybe you're connected online. But I hope you know Jesus, we see Jesus is never too busy for you. Jesus is always accessible and available for you. I remember um, stories about reading stories about a pastor named George Mueller. He established many orphanages, these houses and schools in England during the 1800s. It was during this time that I don't know if you ever watch any shows or stuff, but but there was a it was a hard time for kids, and a lot of kids were homeless, orphaned, thrown on the street, not really taken care of. Well, God called George Mueller, this pastor, to to take them in and take care of them and provide for them and train them, raise them up and share with them Jesus. And so a, a lot of these kids that were thrown on the streets, these unwanted kids, well, this man of faith took them in and God miraculously supplied food, support. I mean, his stories are all famous about. If you can grab any of his biographies, George Mueller, it's awesome to read. His, his stories of faith, what he prayed for, uh, and how God came in. Well, George Mueller kept a plaque on his desk with a saying that he, was always, he, was, he would always look to, to like bring comfort and strength and hope in distressing times and situations. And this plaque simply said, it matters to him about you. I think today we would say, you matter to God. And that's what perhaps God is saying today to you. Maybe right now in this moment, you need to hear those words that you matter to God. God, God looks at you and you matter to Him. And so Jesus, He's never too busy for you. Jesus is always accessible and available for you. And so take that as God's word and we see right away, Jesus went and helped this distressed father. Let's go on to number two, the desperate woman, the desperate woman. And in this section, we're going to cover verse 43 through 48 here. Uh, let's take a look at the first few verses. Verse 43, it says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased now here's this woman part of this whole crowd sort of moving along with jesus here uh, jesus is moving so they're moving too. remember they're waiting for 
him and they're looking forward to being with him. And so that Jesus starts moving, heading toward Jairus's, Jairus's house. And then there's this woman that comes up. Now, tradition says this woman came from Caesarea Philippi, which is up north on the coast, um, uh, right above Israel and around there. So tradition says she's really actually from there. Now, she has an ailment. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had bleeding going on. Many believe that perhaps it was a menstrual bleeding or uterine kind of disorder. Some, something was going on with her and she was continuing to bleed. And think about this. It was 12, it's been 12 years that she's had this ailment. 12 years of bleeding. Notice that. Her bleeding started when Jairus' daughter was even born. Just just an interesting thought here. So I was thinking about not only was she probably weak from all that bleeding, but it says here in verse 40, 43 that she had spent all her living on physicians and she could not be healed by anyone. So she's practically broke. She's, she spent everything to try and get healed, to hire physicians, to go to different people to try and get some healing. Uh, I read about some ancient prescriptions perhaps that uh, she might have tried and paid for. One is like eat Persian onions cooked in wine while chanting arise out of your flow of blood. So there are some prescriptions like that. Another one was this. I thought this was weird. It was carry a corn kernel found in the poop of a white female donkey. That's crazy. First you got to find it. <laughs> and then you're going to carry that thing. That's crazy. But back then, you know, medicine wasn't like what we have today. But she spent all her living, everything she had to try and be healed. But she was never healed. And then notice here, she says, uh, it says in verse 44, now, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood See, so she comes up from behind. She's part, part of that crowd pressing around Jesus and going with Jesus as he's walking. She comes up, kind of sneaks up from behind, and she reaches out and touched uh, Jesus, the hem of his, his uh, robe, actually, we find in some other passages. Now, think about this woman. She's been unclean for for 12 years basically. She'd be ceremonially unclean because of this flow of blood. And so anyone who would touch her according to the Jewish law, they would be unclean. And so because of her ailment, she would not be able to go worship at the temple. She would basically be treated like a leper. Uh, and then think about this, the crowd did not know she was there, right? Or else they would have, oh, you know, they would have just spread out away from her. Oh, no, coronavirus, ah, you know, kind of thing, right? But they didn't know. And then maybe she even feared that Jesus would not even want to touch her because of her condition. So, so to approach Jesus, even to ask for healing and a touch from Jesus, she probably didn't want, want to do that. But she went after Jesus and she came up from behind. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, it indicates in the Greek that she kept repeating to herself, 
if I only touch his garment, I will be made clean. And so she kept repeating that, going, maybe motivating herself, maybe in, in, in the desire and the, the distress of, your, of her heart, right? She's, she's reaching out in the desperation of her heart, and she kept repeating it. I only touch his garment, I will be made well. If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. So the desperate woman reached out to Jesus and touched his robe. And then what happened? She was healed, right? Immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. Can you imagine? Immediately, as soon as she touched Jesus' robe, as soon as her fingers touched the robe, suddenly, can you imagine? She sensed that flow of blood stop. The pain was probably gone, right? That, that continual pain that she lived with. All of a sudden, she knew, she felt whole. She felt right immediately when she touched Jesus' robe. I can imagine her heart. I can imagine seeing her, you know, on camera. She pushed herself through the crowd. Her only hope was just to touch one of those tassels. They say Jewish men wore some tassels on the hem, on the bottom of their robe, and she could just touch that, that, that tassel. I'll be made whole. And maybe with the, as she's, the crowd is pressing in around her and they're almost pushing her away, with the last ounce of her strength, she, she lunges, she reaches out, and she t- gets that touch. And then she was healed. No one else knew that. No one else. But she was finally healed by one touch as she reached for Jesus. No one else knew, but the Son of God knew. Look at verse 45. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, "Uh, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. In other words, uh, Jesus, Master, uh, you're in the middle of a crowd. Everyone's pushing in around you. I mean, what do you mean, right? Who touched you? What, what do you mean? I'm sure at that the, women wa- the woman wanted to like slip away. Oh no, she's caught. Right at that moment, right after she, got, she touched Jesus' robe, she was healed, Jesus turns around, who touched me? I'm sure the woman wanted to, to just slip away quietly and, and because what if the crowd knew what if it was? It came out that she had this flow of blood and she was unclean and she was in the middle of that pressing crowd? But Jesus is like, someone touch me, someone touch me. But it wasn't like that Jesus was upset here. He says here in um, uh, verse 46, But Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. Verse 47, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus Peter's like, hey, and Jesus, everyone's pressing on you. What do you mean? And, and Jesus said, well, someone touched me, and the power has gone out. Jesus wasn't upset here. Don't take it that way. And it wasn't that he didn't know what was going on, right? He knew something. 
his power had gone out, and he knew exactly what was going on. This, this woman had touched her robe, but he wanted to draw her out. He wanted to bring her faith to completion. Jesus wanted to really show this woman and the crowd, show this, the desperate woman two things. And I want to give you this right now. Number one, the healing came from reaching out to Jesus and not the clothing. He wanted to make sure that the woman understood this. The healing came from reaching out to Jesus and not necessarily really the clothing. So here's the woman after confessing, you know, what was going on in her life and, and then what, what, what she did and everything. And so she, she's, um, she shared everything, what was going on, fell down before Jesus and in the presence of people, she explained everything. And then notice Jesus says in verse 48, daughter. I love that. He looks to this woman saying, daughter. If we were there, if I was there, he'd say, son. It's a, it's a word of love, of endearment. It's a word of Jesus having compassion upon this woman. Remember, she's been ostracized in society all this time. She was like a leper. She, her family couldn't come around her. She had no money. The priest would walk you know, past her. She was unclean ceremonially. And Jesus says, daughter. She's a child of the Heavenly Father. How special, how special is that? Jesus shows this unclean and untouchable, this untouchable one is loved by God. Basically saying, so should a crowd. God loves this one. And she calls, he calls her daughter. And then Jesus says these amazing words. He said, daughter, verse 48, your faith has made you well. It was not some magical properties of the robe. That's not what, what Jesus is talking about. It was her faith in Jesus. That's what healed her. I mean, think about this. There's a lot of people around pressing in on Jesus, bumping into Jesus, hitting his robe and all that, right? But that was not in faith. They, they didn't touch Jesus or, you know, uh, kind of brush against him in faith and then they, he being healed. No, this woman in this purposeful, in this, in this will in her heart, reached out and touched the one who she knew could, be, could heal her. It was a pers- purposeful t- t- reach and touch for the one from the one who is desperate to be healed. Warren Wiersbe said, it's one thing to press him and another to touch him by faith. So put that in, in, in your mind right now. See your, faith, reach, see your faith is reaching out to the one person who could heal her. And that's what healed her. Jesus did. She came to Jesus. She came to the Lord. She came to God, the Savior. And that's what healed her. See, it wasn't some ritual. It wasn't some special prayer, she said. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, having Jesus lay hands on her or some certain action that had to be done. But it's just coming to Jesus 
in faith. That's what it's about. That's what we, we need to do. It's not like, okay, God, I'll, I'll say these three prayers or, or, or I'll have Pastor Rick you know, lay hands on me. And I, 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 I'm not opposed to that. And we are to go to our elders and all and get prayer. But if you think that the ritual of that alone is going to heal you or help you, that's not what it's about. The laying of, of our hands is going to God and having someone pray for you. It's going to God. Not, not some magic you know, thing you say or some uh, magic, uh, magical thing you do that will bring healing. But it's coming to, with faith to Jesus who is God. To the only one who can help you. So Jesus wanted to show the crowd the desperate and the desperate woman two things one was the healing came from reaching out to Jesus and not the clothing and number two the physical healing must lead to the spiritual healing of the soul so understand that it's not just this physical act or miracle that's happening it's a spiritual healing that Jesus has in mind here so when he said oh someone touched me the power is gone out of me it was to draw her out to bring her to this place he could have just let her go right he could have just let her go quietly in the crowd and no one would have known anything but jesus himself but there was something more than just a physical healing there was a spiritual healing of her soul notice she jesus says in verse 48 daughter your faith has made you well and then he says go in peace literally that's go into peace the healing, think about it this way, the healing not only gave the woman her life back, a permanent physical healing, she's getting her life back, but it also gave her peace in her soul. Now remember when I told you what was going on in her life, because of the bleeding, she was what? Unclean. But now Jesus is saying, you know what? You're healed. The bleeding has stopped. You can go now into your life and with God, you're clean. Basically, that's what he's saying when he says, go in peace. Go into peace. And think about how, how great this is for this woman, right? After she confesses, oh, I've been unclean all these years. And probably, the, you know, the crowd's going, whoa, I bumped into her. Oh, no, I'm unclean. Oh, I got to do, bring my sacrifice. Oh, no, you know, all this stuff. But Jesus says, no, you're clean. Just by his word. Just by his word. Go into peace now. He publicly acknowledged her faith to show the crowd that faith in Jesus is what makes you clean. That faith in Jesus is how you can go into peace. That you can go from being this horrible, uh, unclean, because you're diseased and sick like, but now you're healed. Now you can go on with God being forgiven cleanse and heal normally right she would have to be ceremonial ceremonially cleanse you know bring the sacrifice do all this stuff but right there jesus declared her clean because of her faith the faith in her that brought this physical healing was also a saving faith that brought a spiritual healing you know, we have to be careful in getting caught up in some certain rituals or things or if we say a certain prayer that, 
oh yeah, this is this will happen then. And then God is like some genie in a bottle, you know. If we rub the lamp right and we make the wishes just right, then we'll be granted those wishes. It's not that. It's about a relationship we have with God, right? And it's sin that has messed that up. But it's Christ who died on the cross who can restore us. And it's in this relationship that we find that peace and, and, and cleansing and life in God. You know, it's interesting. You ever thought about how baseball players, like, they have their little superstitious practices, you know, to make sure, like, you know, they're going to win games and things like that? I was reading about this. I, I thought it was interesting. And you, you, you'll see it in games and stuff. But some baseball players, they'll eat certain foods before a game. Uh, one player, he said, well, I eat a stack of pan- pancakes. Uh, another player said, you know, I eat $30 worth of Wendy's. You know, some guy, I got to have fried chicken before I play, you know. And if they do that, they'll have a good game. Some say, you know, there's superstitions like never step on the chalk lines in the field or never talk about a no-hitter or perfect game during the game or else you're going to jinx the game, right? Uh, some say when, in, when you're in a winning streak, the, the players, they'll refuse to wash their uniform. <laughs> uh, their hats or you clean their helmets because we're on this winning streak. Um, some, they, they, they don't shave. <laughs> or um, some, they'll keep wearing that favorite underwear because it's giving them luck in winning the game. Can you imagine <laughs> all these games? Whew. Yeah, don't want to be around him. <laughs> and I can't believe this. One player basically will shishi on their hand thinking that'll bring bring them the, the winning game and his plays and all. And that's all crazy. It's superstition, right? And we go through these superstitions. Well, you know what? Some Christians do their superstitious rituals too. Thinking somehow that'll bring the blessing. That'll bring the healing. That'll bring that touch of God. Now let me tell you, God does touch us. A lot of times in worship, I am so touched emotionally. I'm touched just, I, it's like I feel His presence. You know, but it doesn't end there. It has to go deeper. It, it, we, we can't just make a superstition out of coming church and being touched physically. All right, we got it. Let's go. You know, kind of thing. It's more than that. The physical touch and maybe rituals should go deeper into the spiritual soul. And that's what your faith does. Your faith believes it is God touching you. It is God touching you in your emotions and your feelings. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you cannot stop there. It has to go deeper. It has to go into where your faith, you believe in who Christ is, even past your feelings. You believe in the promises that He gives you. you the difference is faith in Jesus and understanding how much He loves you, how much He cares for you, and knowing that, okay, God, you're going to be here for me. You're working in my life. I, Lord, I'm, I, I'll build my life upon your foundation. You know, it's, it's, That's faith. It's more than just the physical. And that's going deeper into the spiritual. And you see, that's the relationship we have with God. Not some superstitious rituals but a close living relationship we have with the living God. 
And that's what Jesus wanted to bring out here. Do you understand this? It, 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 it's not just, oh, touch the robe and, whoo, miracle, she's healed. And yeah, it was, it was. It was a valid, it was a miracle. But Jesus wanted to show it's much more than that. He didn't want the crowd like, oh, yeah, let's start grabbing Jesus' robe now. No, it was more than that. She was healed physically and she was healed and saved spiritually. She was considered unclean spiritually because of this physical disease. But now she's healed, clean of the flow of blood, and now she's clean on the inside in her heart. Because Jesus said, go in peace. You're okay with God now. Everything's okay. All right, well, this is a desperate woman with her desperate touch. And now let's go to number three, the deceased daughter. We'll finish up here with the rest of our, our verses, verse 49 through 56. But the next two verses, verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be healed. Well, how sad. Jesus stops to talk to this woman to bring her faith out, to bring her to a place of spiritual healing and go in peace. She's cleansed. But how sad, by the time that conversation was over, a servant, someone of the Jairus's servant comes and informs him that the daughter had died. Basically, no need bother the master anymore. No need bother Jesus. It's all right. Hope is gone. She's died now. But can you imagine at that moment where Jairus' heart had sunk and thinking, it's too late. Jesus turns to him and he says, he says, do not fear, verse 50, only believe and she will be well. He promises she's going to be okay. It's all right. Don't fear the worst here. But believe. In the presence of Jairus, the woman was commended for her faith. While in the presence of this woman, Jairus was told to have faith. I like these two stories together because if you think about it, in many ways, Jairus and this woman were the same. Both came to Jesus in this, this de- desperate need. Both came kneeling. Right? We saw the woman you know, fall down and Jairus had fallen down before Jesus. Both had problems that were public. Everyone knew. Uh, Both needed faith. Faith had healed the desperate woman. And faith could also heal Jairus' daughter too. The severity of the need made no difference to Jesus, who has power over sickness and over death. Are you going through a tough time tonight? Are you in intense sorrow, maybe pain. Maybe there's some fear of something. Maybe maybe there's a loss of a loved one or a breakup of a marriage going on. Maybe there's no job. Maybe there's no money. Maybe the future, you're, you're in panic about it. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe it seems like all your hopes have just crashed down. You got some news like Jairus Hill. Here, don't lose hope and turn away from Jesus. Don't lose hope from the only one, the one person who could help you, Jesus. 
Think about if Jairus just turned away, oh, thank you, Jesus, and just walked back home. But Jesus stopped and said, no, there's still hope, Jairus. I'm still coming. There's still hope. Believe, don't fear. Believe she will live again. And right there, Jesus was trying to open his mind and heart up right there. Because I bet his heart was limited. His mind was limited. He put a limit on what God can do. Ah, one thing, this woman who's alive and sick. Raise the dead? I don't know. For me, I don't know. I don't know if I can go that far. Don't limit the God who does the impossible in your life by limiting what you think He can do. It's one of my favorite quotes. The early church father, Augustine, wrote, Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. I love that. That's what Jesus was asking Jairus to do. Well, look at verse 51. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. So they got to the house here. And when they went in uh, to the house, Jesus just only allowed uh, Peter, John, and James. I was the, the, his um, closest and disciples. They're probably the leaders in the group. They're the, um, the ones that he was closest and intimate with and training there. And the parents were allowed to go into the house too. And outside, everyone was weeping, mourning, I'm sure family. I'm sure the friends were there, the neighbors were there. And most likely... During uh, ancient times, uh, when someone passed away, you actually hire, uh, there were these professional mourners that would come and wail and make a big deal about it. And I guess it was kind of an honoring the dead kind of thing. It's it's weird to me that you'd hire, you know, some professional mourner. "Ah, ah," But when Jesus said, hey, don't, don't weep here. Don't cry like that. She's not dead. She's sleeping. No, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. It isn't. But those maybe it was those professional mourners that laughed like, what? <laughs> You're crazy. You're joking. And started laughing, right? Because they're paid. They just, you know, can switch like that. So they laughed at him knowing, no, for sure she was dead. This dead. This is not some, you know, kind of thing that she, oh, well, she is just sleeping or maybe she got real sick and passed out and it looked like she was dead. No, for sure. Everyone knew she was dead. She had died. For sure, here. So then Jesus comes to this deceased daughter. And then look at verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So here's Jesus. He comes in, and he takes her by the hand, and he says, child arise what a moment that must have been for the three disciples for the parents standing there watching this happen and then immediately her spirit returned life came back into her she got up she got up she was alive at that moment and then said hey give her something to eat give her something to eat right now and she she ate She's alive. She's not some ghost. Yeah, She's not some spirit. She is physically 
alive and their parents are amazed. They're in wonder. They're like blown away basically in their grief. But Jesus charged him. He told him, hey, don't tell anyone what happened here. Now, why did Jesus tell the parents not to tell no one? Well, obviously the facts are going to speak for themselves, right? They don't really need to say anything. But also, Jesus, again, did not want to be known as some miracle raiser from the dead. You know, people can come. No, Jesus wanted the focus to be on the word, on the gospel, on, on, on God's love, not the miracles. He wanted faith to be more than just this physical, right, healing, but the spiritual healing and salvation. He came to not just raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons, but even more so to fix broken lives. And so Jesus said, hey, don't make a big deal, basically. Jesus is more about changing lives, saving them from the consequence of sin, and giving hope. You know what? That death is not the end. Remember, death means separation. Being separate, like from the one you know, who is um, being separate from that person who died, you're separate, right, from that. Death means separation. Uh, no longer being able to enjoy that person's presence. Well, that's what happens with God. We die spiritually. Our sin, our consequences, we die spiritually. We're separated from God. When you sin as a Christian, your relationship is broken with God. But that's why First John 1, 9 says we can come to God, confess our sins, and He'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because we believe in Christ and Christ atoned for our sins and we have that. But death, right, separates us. Spiritual death is being separate from God and we cannot enjoy God's presence anymore. But Jesus came to change all that. Jesus comes to give life to spiritually dead souls. And notice, I love this, verse 54. It says, by taking her by the hand. And that's what Jesus does for us. The touch of Jesus brings us life. So our last point here is when Jesus touches a person's life, that's when the dead come to life. When Jesus touches a person's life, that's when the dead come to life. Kind of relates to Sunday, right? The church of Sardis who is alive but dead. But no, tonight, this is what we see. Not just physically. Jesus is focused. Hey, don't tell everyone, you know, don't go crazy over this. Yeah, no. His focus, he wanted to, on the spiritual life we get from the Lord. You know, before Jesus came into my life, I was going nowhere. I was going Nowhere. I was just reacting to things in life. Whatever happened, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had no direction. I had no goal. I, I, there was no purpose in my life. There's things I like to do, yeah, but, but they, I still felt empty. Yeah? I didn't feel content or fulfilled. There's no fulfillment at all. But I'll tell you, when Jesus came into my life, it all changed. I felt like it, I came alive. I'm like, I, I found what I was looking for. I, I found life and what life meant. You guys, if you veer off that path and you start chasing something else more than you chasing Jesus, you're going to start feeling that discontent. You're going to start feeling that unfulfillment. 
But if you stick to Jesus, and you stick to what He wants to do in your life, and, and that's your goal, Jesus, oh, you're going to find that life. And you're going to see Jesus coming to you, taking you by your hand, raising you up. He's going to reach out and touch you. And He's going to heal you spiritually in here. So go to Jesus. He's the one that will keep us going, give us hope, give us life. Just like he did with Jairus' daughter here. Let me close with this. A lady in um, Stockton, Sweden, was pinned beneath a streetcar. It was an accident. She was seriously injured and bleeding badly, and the rescuers and the crowd of people tried to move the streetcar, but, but it was too heavy. They had to wait for other emergency uh, people to come. There was nothing to do but wait until like this heavy equipment came in. She was in great pain, losing blood, but suddenly a young man broke away from the crowd, crawled under the streetcar, and he took the woman's hand and said, hold my hand tightly until help comes. And you know what they say? That saved her life. In holding her uh, his hand, she grew calm. She avoided going into shock, and, and that loss of blood you know, was slow because her heart calmed down. Finally, she was freed, and afterwards, she said this, I never knew the touch of a hand could mean so much. So you guys, let's reach out to Jesus. Let's reach out our hands to Him. He's reaching out to us. Let, let's grab it. Because it means so much for our lives, you guys, to have the touch of healing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, God. And we need your touch right now, God. And we need you so much, Lord. I need your touch. I need your healing touch, Lord. I need to heal those broken parts of my heart, God. I need, Lord, we need your touch to heal us, not just physically or in our minds but God deep within our souls we're so messed up God with our own pride or selfishness with 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 allowing our flesh to say things we shouldn't God I don't know why we do that with our own will God sometimes we're so like strong-willed and stubborn but Lord we know with one touch we can be healed and freed of the bondage of that so Lord We reach to you, nothing else, God. We reach out to you, and we want to grab your hand and be healed tonight. So I pray your Holy Spirit to do that very thing as we cry out to you, Lord. And as we worship you, God, come and touch and fill us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.